One in four car batteries is weak and needs to be replaced. Let our professional parts people test your battery for free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, for goodness sakes, how late is this episode? You know, it never fails. Every time I do a double special in October, I always get wrapped around in certain things. But, you know, this one is a little bit of trickery on my part. You see, I vetoed the double special this time because I figured, hey, if I'm going to talk about two great kings, two great monster kings of that, it might as well be on the week of Halloween. And it shouldn't feel that bad to you because you have a J360 episode happening on Monday. <laughs> so, let's get to it. Welcome to the J360 Monster Fest here on J360 Radio. J360 Legion, and welcome back to the J-Man Show for episode 125. Today, we are going to be discussing A Tale of Two Kings. That's right, it's Godzilla and King Kong. A rematch, 58 years in the making. Of course, held up by multiple licensing issues between the two, but needless to say, we're finally getting that rematch. I am more excited for 2020 than anything right now. And no, it's not even because of the latest run of Marvel or the fact that we're finally uh, somewhat done with Star Wars, no. This is finally it, guys. A franchise that I do care about in the modern age. (laughs) And man, I had a blast. You know, there was another reason for why this episode was kind of late. But I'll tell you this much. I sat back and I enjoyed the MonsterVerse. You remember the MonsterVerse, right? The one franchise that Warner Brothers didn't even take the time to ruin. It was doing so well on its own. And it's very low-key. And doesn't get shoved down your throat so much. I mean, you just sit back there. You just... Understand this, you ain't worried about superheroes or supervillains and their problems and crap. You're just looking at expendable extras run from the carnage and destruction caused by seismic triggers from giant gargantuan beasts. Some that we've created and some that we have unfortunately awakened. And I love it, man. I mean, like, look, I remember way back when when I started uh, doing reviews and stuff again about... The 2014 era, I want to say. And, you know, I did the whole five top five movies of the summer. Little things that I delve into. And I, you know, I, I, I got to admit, with 2014's Godzilla, I was, you know, I was happy because it was actually him in the movie this time. It wasn't like 1998's Godzilla at all. 
this movie actually it teased in so many areas, but it, it, it lets you know that this is just an appetizer to a big feast coming your way. Because if you look at Godzilla, oh man, if you if you look at King Kong, Skull Island, you can see where they're improving and they're building upon it. I mean, it was a more actionized prequel. I mean, think about it. It took place in the 70s during the uh, Vietnam era. But at the same time, these are just tidings to get the set and the feel for the pacing. Because we didn't have all that slow, steady build-up, you know? Like, it took a while for Godzilla to even get on screen in 2014. And then a lot of people started complaining about the screen time, and as soon as he was on screen, it flipped over to a different scene. But you gotta understand Gareth Edwards' style of doing things. Even though he had nothing to do with any of the later films, thank God. But I will tell you this much... Not to not to crap on his work though, he did do Rogue One, so I got I got to give him some props there too. And his own monster movies weren't that bad. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'll be a little nice this time, but when it comes to the fact that that movie was just built as an appetizer of what's to come, you see, like in Kong Skull Island, as soon as they made the exposition from Monarch made it to Skull Island, and for God knows what reason they were nuking the ground to you know to prove the hollow earth theory i understand that but you see uh you're coming into the apes home you're coming to where these monsters are you know these monsters exist but then you're gonna nuke the plantation of where it lives at and expect him not to act hostile and start breaking down all of the (laughs) helicopters that were coming his way i mean think about it he's pretty uh pretty lenient king but you over here just saying, hey, we coming to fight. And they got what they wanted because Kong just messed up that whole damn squadron. And I mean, like, if you look at different interpretations of King Kong, usually we're the ones that mess with him. You know what I mean? We we go into his land and we, we start a lot of trouble with him. You know what I'm saying? And you see, he never really saw things eye to eye with us, but he does know the difference between friend or foe sometimes. And if there's a woman in charge and if he loves a certain woman... He'll do whatever he can tooth and nail to please that woman, even though there's no chance of a strong relationship ever going. Unless you look at, like, uh, the remakes that have happened. I mean, in the 76 remake, you know, Jessica Lang kind of had feelings for the big guy. And then, of course, um, in 2005, you know, Naomi Watts. Was it 2004 2005? I want to say 2004. Yeah, 2004. Naomi Watts felt the same thing for the big guy. You know, didn't want him to die, per se. But at the same time, I don't think neither one of them wanted to be held or captured atop the so many so much feet in the air. You know what I'm saying? The wind factor alone should have wiped him out. But of course, you know, King Kong can't die unless he's on top of a certain building structure and shot by multiple bullets and rejected by the one he loves. So, you know, it's one of those little scenarios. So, you know, it's one of those little scenarios. But let's be real here. That didn't happen in this particular film. I was happy about that, too. Uh, well, then again, no, it depends on what film you watch. Because, see, he didn't necessarily stay dead after the 76 film. There was also King Kong Lives. Which was interesting. Because somehow, you, you can tell this sequel just came out of the air. Because there was a female Kong, too. Yeah, She Kong or Lady Kong. And she was a part of bringing him back to life. He ended up having, like, a blood transfusion, heart transplant. But, you know, I can discuss that movie at another time. It's one of them weird sequels you look into, and it's like, hmm. But moving forward into this film, though, 
considering it was an actionized prequel and it's leading up to one of the most anticipated rematches in history, I have to say it was it was done rather well. I mean, you also had Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson in the movie. And this is a movie she didn't even ruin. She played a pretty good role in this movie. So what happened to her exactly, you know? Was it fame? Was it megalomania? It's just like I looked at her, I was like, wow, I didn't have a problem with her at all in this film. Just like, mm, no, 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 no. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of movies I didn't have a problem with Brie Larson in. Of course, her filmography, it, mm, no, I, it, it, you know, even, I, I, I really went to go see Captain Marvel because of Nick Fury and the cat. Let's just be real. But, oh, yeah, yeah, and the scrolls, and the scrolls. I didn't go to see it for her. I mean, as soon as I saw all that other stuff came out, it was just like, mm, no, this is one of them things that I look for for the supporting characters rather than the main person. But I'm still thinking, like, yeah, but she did well in this movie. And not only that, you know, Samuel Jackson, he played a very fantastic villain. I mean, he just couldn't handle loss well. And I guess as a Vietnam veteran, you can understand that because he probably had to lose a lot of men during that time, too. He just could not handle it. And I was really rooting for the, the one soldier to make it back to his young son, you know, the Dear Billy letters. Like, you actually felt for the human element in that movie. If you never really did, because at least King Kong movies were... King Kong movies were usually okay about giving the characters that surround King Kong a lot of depth and growth, too. Whereas, like, if you look at the characters in the 2014 Godzilla film, um, they, they were there. They had some life to them, but really the movie felt teased you a little bit. Well, who am I kidding? It teased you a lot. Because it made you think that Brian Cranston was going to actually have a bigger role than what he what he had. And it turned out to be that his son... Played by, um, you know, Aaron Johnson, I think that's his name. He, he also played as Quicksilver in the, um... It's pretty much Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch as a married couple in this movie. What a son. But granted, you, you know, you really didn't get to know the, the son that much. And, you know, if anything, it's just the soldier returning back to his wife and son throughout the whole movie. You really didn't get to know them entirely. But you did get to know, like, the soldier character. You know, he's just doing his job. He's just trying to make sure that he can get back to his family in one piece, you know. Because at the end of the day, he experienced a lot of loss. And then there's moments where you can look at him and look at Godzilla, and they're both just trying to do their job. They're tired as hell, but they're trying to restore balance so that they can get back to their loved ones. Or in his case, his loved ones, whereas Godzilla, you know, you got to admit that he's pretty much a defender of the Earth. Like, he doesn't really care for us and our well-being entirely but he does care for the planet he lives on so that counts and then there's times where you know he does stare at us and he looks at us like are you gonna help or are you gonna be in the way what are you gonna do i gotta give that to him you know <laughs> and he does do that a lot in king of the monsters but at least with this one you know he's fighting against mutos and you see when he's fighting against the mutos the mutos you, you can feel for them too because they are pretty much just creatures that are from Earth, but they also lived, probably thrived and lived during the Cretaceous periods, like years before we ever started roaming around and stuff like that and going into bigger industries and stuff. They're just creatures that were trapped by time, and they've broken free, and due to our human error, it's either them or us. And then, of course, you know, Godzilla's the apex predator, so... He'll come around there. Like I said, it's that it's that chain of life that 
surrounds everything. There's always a bigger fish, and Godzilla's like, mm, you gonna be on my turf doing that kind of stuff? Nah, 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 this is how we gonna be. Ground rules from here. And their rivalries, the rivalries of all of the uh, kaijus or titans in this particular universe, they're shown on different cave drawings, which I really love. I love how, like, they show the ass, you know, they show pretty much where everything is. And it saves you a lot of time in terms of exposition because it shows that history repeats itself. This all has happened before. And that's what I think is very amazing about the MonsterVerse. It doesn't try to shove too much down your throat, unlike certain other franchises, you know. But you see, as I see, like, with, um, God, the only thing is, is that sometimes, yeah, man, I mean, it was slow pacing, and you only had, like, two atomic blasts, but maybe it was just a way to give everybody, like, hope, like, hey, this can get bigger and better, and it does. Because, I mean, even Toho was kind of shaky about, you know, licensing Godzilla to us again. And you see, this movie had a lot riding for it, and it was a hit. Like, even though there was some criticisms here and there about the screen time of the monsters and how much uh, monster battling we got. Or, like, you know, you just didn't really care for certain human characters. Like like I said before, like, some of them, you, you can see the archetype around them, but how they convey is kind of... It's it's not as real as you'd like it to be, except for certain scenes. I mean, the man did just lose his father, and everybody thought his father was crazy because of what happened years ago when the father lost his wife in an atomic explosion, which was caused by seismic triggers led by the Mutos. So, you know, differing circumstances, but you also got to get to know Monarch a little bit. Like, everything that was established here... Gets pushed along further into Kong Skull Island, which is a prequel to everything. You see how it all lines up. And then that leads to what my movie of the night was, was Godzilla King of the Monsters. Finally, we managed to get Toho's confidence back into us. We managed to get, like, everything that was just right. It doesn't matter what the damn critics say. You already know they're shills anyway. But the fans, the real fans, who pretty much like me... That would tune in every Saturday just to see buildings get destroyed and monsters blow up things and Godzilla coming to save the day if, if the Japanese government can't do it right or if there's a united front of the world or if there's that time where all the monsters were in one movie and managed to take down King Ghidorah and the aliens after they were freed from the control. I mean, and it was called Destroy All Monsters. Very beautiful film, by the way. After all that, you know, this this was made for us. That movie was made particularly for us. It's like, you know, you go into the multiplex, you get your big thing of popcorn, you get your soda, and you sit back there, and you just watch the carnage unfold. And it worked just right. Like, at the end of the day, you see how they established King Ghidorah as one of the biggest, baddest villains in cinematic history. And then you see, like, it was all a plot of eco-terrorists, because you got some people out there that think, hey, if we wipe out the human race... The earth will thrive and grow again. But you see, we as humans, we're a part of nature. And we do a lot of things and our immediately obsession or admiration of things that we tend to not have control over or want to have control over. We create a whole lot of problems. And then in doing so, we upset the balance of nature. And the nature points out the folly of man. And you know what? Yeah, that's what leads to total destruction. 
but you see the balance has to be restored and usually the apex predator or our guardian monster whomever that may be for the movie will rise up to wipe out whoever is disrupting the balance or putting us in our place and then goes back under the sea only to rise again when we screw things up and there's a beautiful way about doing this kind of stuff because you see the thing is godzilla himself is a victim of time. In a way, he didn't ask to be born. We made him, didn't we? As soon as those bombs hit, and either atomized the remains of them, or really irritated and mutated them, no matter what the origin is, because it differs in the Showa, Haishi, Millennium, and now, you know, modern MonsterVerse styles. There is an... I think there was another one in Shin Godzilla where he was evolving multiple times. And you see... I love the different interpretations of Godzilla, except one, because that's not really Godzilla. I think I've redeemed that film once or twice. I said it was pretty good for a uh, Saturday flick, but as for a true Godzilla film, <laughs> no, because when you look at Final Wars, and as soon as like, as soon as the real Godzilla wipes out Zilla in Sydney, Australia, that was like the best scene ever. I mean, it was too short. I would have liked it if um, the real Godzilla just went ahead and. Well, he's got honor, so he's not going to torture the hell out of the thing, but he's going to go ahead and say, this is an atomic blast, bitch, and fire it right at him. As soon as he swats him with his tail and go, boom, faker. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, I should have went through the whole lineup, but then again, this would have been an even longer episode. But going back into the movies, though, like, I felt for the creatures for what I saw in Godzilla 2014. You know, like, the Mewtwo's didn't really ask for what they were trying to do. I mean, they were looking for a warm spot. They could wipe out all of our electricity using the EMPs that surround them. And they were just trying to repopulate their species. But then, you know, the Apex Predator looked on in there. He said, hell no. Though they had Godzilla against the ropes there in the final battle. I mean, the thing about it is they should have realized that, you know, Godzilla never going to stop hunting us. And them kids are going to take some time to grow and become something, even though... If you look at Godzilla King of the Monsters, there was another Mewtwo there. It was a female one too, the eight-legged one. So it makes you wonder if there's if there's another male floating around there somewhere. Is Godzilla gonna have to do the same thing again too? Because you see, that was one of the kaiju's that were okay, titans that were bowing to him at the end of that movie. But like I said before, going back into um, yeah, we're gonna volley around all three of these films. Like I said before, though, when it comes to when it comes to circumstances with eco terrorists and all those kind of things, like those people actually are real, by the way. But you see, going back into what Charles Dance was trying to do, he was going about it kind of wrong. You know what I'm saying? And then he had the nerve to be like, "Oh, we'll 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 buy the new Ghidorah head." I'm like, "Do you not realize that you don't have the Orca system anymore?" And you got this thing right... But then again, I know exactly what they're going to try to do. They're going to build a mechanized King Ghidorah, which isn't too far from the truth, and they're going to utilize it. And I hope it works. I mean, I hope that this will be the focal point of the next Godzilla vs. Kong movie, because as much as I like to see them two tear the crap out of each other, which they did in the classic 1962 film, I really would love to see them team up to take down a bigger foe. And then, of course, you know, Mothra's still alive, too. In the form of another, you know, another incarnation. But still, things actually repeat themselves. So, if you got the three good monsters here, then that one monster that's evil and maliciously intent, unless they uh, caught the one head that actually represents the id, then there might be a chance 
that that thing is going to be the most badass one ever if those three monsters have to face off against it. You know what I would like to see? I would like to see a Godzilla vs. Gamera movie. That would be sweet. Because Gamera is about due for a comeback, and I think Toho owns the rights to Gamera now, right? Is that the way it goes? Because, see, I know some of you kaiju fans out there are listening to this show, too. So, if I get anything wrong or flub up on a few things, you know, just let me know. Or, hey, better, go ahead and leave a couple of comments down below. Because, like I say, you know, it's all good for the community to help each other out one way or another. And, you know, Gamera is due for a comeback. Gamera versus Gaios. At, at least. At least another one. Or, or, or Guiron. Or however you pronounce his name. Sometimes they get kind of superfluous with these names you know what i'm saying so you gotta be like ah come on man but you know just for like or even them teaming up wow you know it's like this like say like you got godzilla you got king kong you got gamera fighting against uh gigan gaios Ghidorah, and then rodan could be on either side because if you got mothra in there and please have mothra be an adult even though she's a badass as a larva but still i just like her better as an adult have her face against Rodan again. But then again, Rodan probably learned his lesson last time after getting stabbed through the Larnex with that damn um, stinger she had. The only gripe I had about Mothra is, is this. She did not get to use her antenna array blast. You know what I'm saying? She did not get to use all those things. Granted, she only became an adult for like that, what, that two-thirds of the film maybe? But still, at the same time, she should know some of her stuff. And then she also has a shield to protect her. But for the sake of the plot, I'm kind of glad that she went ahead and she ran interference for Godzilla. That was that was, that was, was pretty cool of her to do that. And then she bonded her power with him. And then he became Burning Godzilla for the last few minutes. And then just pretty much Super Saiyan... <laughs> pretty much Super Saiyan <laughs> Ghidorah around. Because Ghidorah lost both of his wings and then he had an OS moment. He's like, no! No! And then... Boom, boom, boom. And then I like the light array that came from, like, the atomic stomp that he did. It had Malter's wings in it. It was like, you know, the design team. Everybody that worked on that film for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, deserves an award or a high pay raise of some kind. And I hope they come back for Godzilla vs. Kong because, I mean, this, this, this was good. You know what I'm saying? It was it was just right. Like, you know, because usually Mothra comes up to check the balance, too. And then there's times where Godzilla does, you know, goes into his I don't really give a damn about y'all mode and tries to wipe out humans, too. So she has to check him as well. Rightfully deserving the title of Queen of Monsters because there's been many times where she or her offspring has beaten him. So that that's the beautiful part about that. It's like they, they did it right for this. Like, yeah, it was kind of bittersweet, you know, to see her go away like that. But, like, it, it was well done. And, you know, it gives me a feel for it. Like, for, I hope for one day of my lifetime that I actually work on a soundstage for one of those movies. Because, my God, I, shoot, I would do it justice. Hell, I, I might even turn down... No, nah, I'm not going to turn down money. I want my money. But, see, the point is... <laughs> Just to work on a Godzilla film set, or even a Spider-Man film set, that would be a dream come true for me. You know what I mean? And not as a coffee bringer, but as somebody that's actually going to contribute to getting things done. But then again, I'm speaking a little too harsh because people who bring coffee to other people, especially stressed out executives or set hands and everything, they deserve good praise too. Similar to like Gunga Den, because sometimes working on a film set, 
is like a war zone. Not everything goes according to plan, and people who claim to have all their nerves together, they'll fall apart at the seams, and then you need something to bring them back together again. Sometimes working in craft or coffee, that brings the crew together. So I take back what I said a little bit earlier. As a matter of fact, anybody that's working on a film set right off the bat, they need due, due respect. Especially if it's a PA that doesn't know what they're doing. So, you know, like, you got to be, like, hmm, a little lenient. Help them out a little. But that's a little bit of a uh, filmmaker sidetrack. Which, by the way, I need to look into some other stuff because I think there's, like, some big news going on since Distriber went out of business and all sorts of other things. <laughs> it's a shame. But with that being said, though, if you're a filmmaker out there, never give up on what you want to do. Always keep trying to make films, all right? Because guess what? A long time ago, I don't think anybody who worked with either the King Kong franchise or the Godzilla franchise even thought that this stuff was going to boom like it was. And a matter of fact, when these two first met, right, Godzilla was actually supposed to fight against... No, no, it wasn't Godzilla. It was King Kong. King Kong was supposed to fight against Frankenstein. And then the person who was shopping around the screenplay, they changed it as soon as they went over to where Toho was because Toho had interest in doing a King Kong movie and decided to say, you know what, instead of Frankenstein, who would later uh, get a movie called Frankenstein Conquers the World, story for another time, but you see, they took that, they said, mm-mm, no, no, Frank, no King Kong versus Frankenstein, scratch that off. It's going to be King Kong versus Godzilla. And it was also to celebrate their time for staying in business so long. So, you know, just because of the luck of the draw and the idea that, hey, maybe we can revive one of our old characters into something, that's how the boom happened, you know? And they managed to, despite a whole lot of cuts and changes here and there, they still managed to utilize King Kong to his fullest to fight against, who will eventually probably become one of his greatest rivals, Godzilla. And there it goes. Like, this is the third Godzilla movie, and I think it was the first one in color, too. So, there was a lot riding on this. And you see, despite, like, the whole pharmaceutical B-plot, all that crap about the humans, who really cares about them? You really just wanted to see them battle it out in Osaka, which they did. And a lot of people try to say, how can Godzilla be defeated by King Kong? Well, you gotta understand this. King Kong might not have all the powers that Godzilla does, even though he absorbed lightning in the classic movie. He might not have all the powers, But you see, he has strength, and he has strategic thinking. And if he utilizes his strategic thinking, because, see, the Skull Island Kong took place in 1973. This, the Godzilla movies took place in present day. So you gotta figure that this Kong might be a lot taller, and a lot smarter, and maybe more capable to utilize his strength to defend either his homeland, or to beat the hell out of Skull Crawlers, which he has done before. Because you never know, see, when you got, like, vermin and you're wiping out vermin and stuff, there's a chance they might come back. And the vermin is the skull crawlers on Skull Island, which Kong pretty much says, uh, you see, I'm the law up here over the land. You guys either stay buried or whatever. You come out, I'm a beach ass. And he does. And then you see if Godzilla gets drawn to Skull Island, which is a theory that somebody had, then, you know, there's going to be a big battle between them both. And that'll be pretty cool. It'll be like supremacy. Two kings fighting it out. But you see, at that point, like I say, even though Godzilla is irradiated and can burn the living hell out of King Kong's balls, 
The point is, is that Kong should be smart enough and resourceful enough to utilize wherever or whatever he can get his hands on. Just like the ending of Skull Island, where like he was trapped in the chains, but he managed to break the chains after a while, and he utilized that rudder to go ahead and beat the crap out of that skull crawler that was there. Like, let's just call it boss skull crawler. You know what I'm saying? When he did what he did against that beast, utilizing the tools that were around him, it was like watching the Hulk at the end of the Incredible Hulk movie. Not necessarily a thinker, but could think on his feet. Could be resourceful. Utilizing the skill set. When he picked up that that police car, busted it up to make it into two boxing gloves and beat the crap out of Abomination at the end of that movie, which I don't know why a lot of y'all had problems with it. It was like looking at a Godzilla movie there for a moment. You know, if you see those kind of things happening... That's pretty cool, too. And Godzilla's was resourceful as well. See, in the original movie, they said Godzilla had, like, the brain of a uh, a marble or a walnut. And said it couldn't match Kong in terms of cognition or anything. And keep in mind, this is, like, the earliest. This is the third movie. So, they didn't really know. You know what I'm saying? But, you see, later on, you can tell that Godzilla's a lot smarter than you think. Matter of fact, I think in the Heishi series, they said he had, like, two brains. Yeah, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2, if I'm not mistaken. Which, by the way, hey, if need be, maybe they could leave that open for maybe a fifth one or something. Like, you know, Godzilla taking on a Mechagodzilla. Or hell, who knows? It could be Mecha King Ghidorah and Mechagodzilla in this movie. Now that would be wild, huh? Because you know one way or another, when you're fighting against the Mecha version of yourself, I don't know if you've noticed, but... That damn thing was the first kaiju I've ever seen to make Godzilla bleed. And I'm talking back or earlier into the Showa era. So when circumstances like that happen and you're facing against it, there's got to be a reason for all three of those monsters to be fighting against something deadly. It's got to be something that really take you down if you're talking in terms of combat and story. You know what I'm saying? And the wildest thing is, is that we're right there in the mecca for it. Because in March 2020... It's going to go down. It's going to go down. <laughs> and I'm going to be right there, too. And I'm going to do what I got to do. It'll be one of those rare occasions where J-Man will try to do at least multiple viewings in the movie theater for this. You know what I'm saying? Because I want that movie to be a success. Nowadays, unless it pertains to what goes on in this crap society we live in or something that benefits an agenda pushed by anybody in mainstream media or out there in the rich social classes or someone's feelings, they'll do what they can to shut this movie down, and I just can't have it. It's like when I saw like how Godzilla, King of the Monsters, was getting mistreated because it said, there's too many monsters in it, not enough looking at the humans. It was a whole complete anti-argument for Godzilla 2014. Everything led to something bigger and better. And I'm like sitting there thinking this, well, hell, this is why we can't have nice things. And those same people are still trying to, for some reason, stop the Joker movie. They wanted to stop the Joker movie so much, and then here comes the whole thing with uh, Jared Leto feeling betrayed. And I look at the whole thing about Jared Leto, I'm like, man, why don't you shut up? You're going to be Morbius in like, you're going to be Morbius in a few years. You're over there at Sony. You got money. I mean, hell, why don't you just go ahead and do another 30 Seconds Tomorrow's album and get the hell out of everybody's face? Like, when it comes to, like, um, Suicide Squad, you were in Suicide Squad for, like, what? Two to five minutes of the film, and even then you didn't bring anything bearing to the plot? 
Uh, I think the most I remember is him helping Harley Quinn with her origin. And I'm using helping in quotes. And then throwing her out of an elevator. And then they got that movie coming too where uh, supposedly she's emancipated. And once again, these are movies that I see when they come out on home release. Or on the fire stick. Because as far as I'm concerned, it just doesn't pull me in. Now giant monsters destroying buildings and fighting each other. And just having the most visceral, brutal combat. Ever, however, oh yeah, I'm sold. So, you know, it's just little things like that. But by looking at the MonsterVerse and then going back to the classic Showa movie, I can see where they're going. And needless to say, that franchise right there is something I enjoy. And I very much appreciate looking into for the Monster Fest. Especially with the week of the day happening here too. Now, before we hit off, am I forgetting something? Ah, yes. Gaming recommendation time. It's going to be three of them this week. The Outer Worlds, Rage, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Don't get started with me on it. You know you wanted to play this game. Especially zombies. Ah, let me give you a bonus. Doom. And also, this is going to be a pretty busy week for me because this is all Hell J-Man week. And also, I'm not going to be here for the typical day when we usually do the J-Man show because that's yours truly's birthday. And if you have something nice to say, you know, leave me some things on Twitter at J360Productions or at JMBrady360. Or even, you could always uh, utilize the voicemail. That would be 240-903-1634. You know, just go ahead and say a couple of nice things if you want to. Entirely up to you. Uh, you know, utilize this. In one way or another, I'm going to be older anyway. <laughs> so that's just the way it goes. But, um, yeah, that's all I have for you all right now. I want you all to enjoy yourselves. Oh, speaking of which, the last week of the Monster Fest is... Wow, yeah, it is next week. So I guess what we'll do is we'll look into not just huge monsters, which we did this week. We're going to look into some little monsters. You know those monsters that cause an epidemic, something awful. And let me just say this, whatever you do, don't feed it after midnight. Well, this is the J-Man signing off. I will see you all next time. And happy Halloween!